Amen. You can be seated, and as you do so, uh, if you're heading out to Mosaic Kids, if you're a K through third grader, you can see Miss Antonia in the back, Mr. Jansen. He's got a yellow shirt on. They're waving. Uh, if you're headed out for K through third, you can head out to the back, uh, and uh, we'll see you in just a little while, kiddos. And the rest of you can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible, don't fret. We'll put the words on the screen behind me as well. And so uh, we're going to be digging into Matthew today, and you may feel like, well, Kyle, aren't we in a series in Romans? We are in a series in Romans, uh, but there is something that's really interesting at the beginning of Romans that I felt like would be appropriate for us to focus in on on Palm Sunday, and that's what today is. It's, it's Palm Sunday. It's the day that Holy Week begins, the day that we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem and the beginning of what we'll often call the Passion Week or uh, of, the, of Holy Week, where uh, the climax is the crucifixion, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But in the beginning of Romans 1, we heard this, and I'll remind you, let me read it, and I think the words will be on the screen behind me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So this phrase, descended from David, it is incredibly significant for us to understand who the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is. And to really dig into that, I felt like today it would be appropriate to rewind a little bit, to step out of Romans, a deep dive there, and to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus in Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11, because this passage has something that's absolutely crucial for us to understand about King Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. The way that King Jesus enters into Jerusalem is the same way he enters into our life, bringing holy and humble confrontation and comfort so that he may heal us. King Jesus enters into Jerusalem in the same way that he enters into our life, confronting and comforting so that we might be healed. And I want us to take a look at this today. And here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to use these palm branches. So if you have a palm branch, I want you to get it. Maybe this is your first time being in a church on Palm Sunday with palm branches. If so, welcome. It's the first time for us to mark Palm Sunday with palm branches at Mosaic. So if it feels weird to you, guess what? It feels weird to us too. Uh, But it's going to become normal for us over the few decades that we have that the Lord gives us together. This will feel like old hat eventually, while today it feels a little unique and a little new. But that's kind of how memory works, and that's how liturgy works. Hopefully this will be something that endures over the generations for us together, even though it's new for us today. And so as I read Matthew 21, there's going to be a part where you're going to hear, Hosanna to the Son of David. And I'm going to read that part, and then I'm going to pause, and this is going to be a responsive reading part. Because when I say, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you're going to shout, Hosanna, and then you're going to throw these palm branches down in the aisles around you. So we're going to walk out of here in the same way that Jesus walked into Jerusalem, over palm branches and under shouts of Hosanna. Hopefully that will help to prepare our hearts, not just for the Holy Week ahead of us, but to put a hope in our hearts that not just has Christ come, but that we are hopeful that Christ will come again. And then on that day, we will shout once again, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pause, and it's going to be a real delayed pause, and I'm going to need you to shout Hosanna and throw these palm branches down, and I'll do it with you. All right? Let's do this. Let me read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. 
Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and they sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Look at, oh my goodness, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Wow. Yeah, give yourself a hand there. Yeah. Huh. Man, I got to tell you, that felt good. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what I want you to see. King Jesus enters Jerusalem the same way he enters our life. He confronts and he comforts in order to heal us. Now, when King Jesus enters in, we get an incredible description of this. We get a description that is a fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. Now, maybe Zechariah is not a prophet you're familiar with, but Matthew is quoting Zechariah in Matthew 21, verse 8. Five. If we can get the words on the screen, that would be so helpful. Because it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This was Zechariah, the prophet's promise that the Messiah would come and that this Messiah, when he would come, he would come in a posture of humility. Not only would it be clear that he was humble, but the symbol of this humility would be that he was riding in on a donkey. Now, this may seem strange to us, and it's strange as a prophetic promise, but in addition to this promise, one of the things that it's doing is it's mirroring the way that Solomon had come into the city of Jerusalem. Did you know that? That Solomon entered in in a similar way, and so this promise may feel like, well, is it just trying to point out that a donkey is kind of an odd animal, and so a king who would come into the holy city on a donkey, that he would clearly have to be humble because that's kind of a random animal to come in on? No, it's that this king is going to be humble. This king is going to succeed where Solomon failed. See, Solomon's downfall, even though he was a son of David and a king of Israel, was that Solomon was arrogant. Solomon was prideful. And do you know what ended up happening to the kingdom of Israel under Solomon's reign? It was divided. It got fractured. It went south, and it went south in a bad, bad way. But under the kingdom that King Jesus is bringing, what was Solomon's downfall is actually going to be King Jesus' victory, which is that he's not going to triumph by avoiding humiliation. He's going to triumph through humiliation. You see, King Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the same way that Solomon did, but where they're going on their thrones are very different places. See, King Jesus is different than the kings of this world. He always has been. He always will be. And his entrance is telling us something distinctive about the kind of king that he is. He's a king who is humble. Now, that kind of seems like an oxymoron, right? A humble king? 
right? Obviously, when we think about kings or we think about royalty, humility is not one of the central values that we think um, marks them. I don't know if you've watched The Crown, but from the little snippets that I have seen while my wife was watching The Crown, because admittedly, I have not watched it, uh, I bet it's fantastic. And if you're a crown advocate, then just know I see you and I love you, but I'm not going to watch The Crown, okay? It's nothing against that, but it's a fantastic show, just not going to watch it. Um, but the little bit that I've seen, the kings in those stories don't appear to be humble. Royalty in those stories don't appear to be humble. doesn't seem to be a defining value of royalty, but for King Jesus, it's a part of his entrance, his, his royal procession, so to speak, into Jerusalem, mirroring the entrance of Solomon, but headed towards very, very different ends. And you see, it's the humility of King Jesus that is really paving the way, so to speak, for what he's going to do when he gets into Jerusalem. Because what's he do? He doesn't do what you think a triumphant king entering into his holy city might do. Look at what it says after verse 11, right? They've proclaimed Hosanna. The people are celebrating this king who is coming in. And look in verse 12 of Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. Well, hold on. This is it. Now, King Jesus has come in humble, but that humility has paved the way for the first work that King Jesus does when we begin to engage him. And that is to confront us. To confront us. And he is confronting these who have made the temple, the very presence of God, where people from all over Israel, but also all over the world, would gather in to worship God. And what has happened in the temple, the presence of God? It has become a place of wickedness. It has become a place of exploitation. It has become a place of deception. It has become a place of racketeering and profiteering. This place that was meant to be a house of prayer for God, for the nations to gather into, it is not marked by righteousness, it's marked by wickedness. Because you might think, well, what's the big deal, right? There are people just doing commerce, right? You know, you guys, you know, you guys sell tickets to things at Mosaic. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that in the temple, sacrifices were offered for worship. And these people who are offering their offerings here, these people are looking to make a quick buck. Okay? They're selling offerings for sacrifices, but they're selling them at a premium. They're marked up. Okay? And it's deception because it looks like, oh, we're just here to try to help people worship. But that's not what's happening at all. The place has really become a place to take advantage of those who are looking to sincerely approach God. And we know that those who are of humble means, we know that the hurting and the honest and the humiliated are not welcomed here because of what happens after this. Because it says after Jesus has turned over the tables and he's, he sent out these people and he said, my, my, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He goes on in verse 14 and this is what it says. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So what was needed for healing to begin to take place in the presence of God? Confrontation. For God to confront the wickedness, the arrogance, and the pride of those who had taken up residence in the house of God. Now, this is a word for us, and it begins as a word of judgment, which is that for us to truly begin to experience healing, and for us to see the power and presence of God displayed in healing in the life of the church, God is first going to have to judge wickedness. Because this king isn't merely a humble king, he's a holy king, right? 
This king who enters in on a donkey, who is humble, is entering into Jerusalem, and he is holy. And so the presence of God, the temple, his house, and his father's house, which should be a place where holiness and righteousness and the glory of God are displayed, those things, they're being hampered and hindered. Why? Because of the sinfulness of human hearts. Because of the unrighteousness of wickedness. And Jesus, in order to prepare that place for the work that is meant to be done there, he first has to overturn some tables. You see, when King Jesus shows up, things have to change. This humble king is a holy king. And this king, out of his humility and holiness, confronts apathy, confronts wickedness, confronts idolatry that has a tendency to root itself in the lives of religious people. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He is humble and mounted on a donkey. But this Jesus, who loves his people, he will judge those things that will bring his people harm. That's what we're seeing here. People were being harmed. They were being hindered from actually worshiping God and being healed by the power and presence of God. And so how does King Jesus' recovery begin? It begins with confrontation. And that's a word for us because there can be a tendency in our hearts to begin to presume to bring wickedness into God's presence. Now, I'm not talking about just the fact that we remain broken. Because that's, that's, that's not really what's at play here. We are all broken and saved by grace through faith. And only those who are broken enter into the presence of God because we're all broken people. What's on display here is a high-handedness. It's a presumption on the grace of God. It's an acknowledged uh, desire to hide wickedness, to bring it into his presence, and to pretend like there's nothing wrong afoot. And there can be a tendency in our hearts to kind of begin to try to hide the very things that God is looking to confront in our lives. Maybe you found this as you've struggled with sin. Maybe you feel like you've stepped into something and you feel like, oh my goodness, if that sees the light of day, God is going to challenge it. God is going to confront it. And let me assure you, he will, but he doesn't do so because he hates you. He does so because he loves you. King Jesus doesn't overturn these tables because he doesn't like these people. King Jesus overturns these tables because he loves these people. And he knows as long as they hide under wickedness and unrighteousness, as long as they hide under a false pretense behind a mask, they cannot be transformed. Because whether you like it or not, God cannot transform your false self. If you're waiting behind a mask, just waiting, you know what, when is God going to do the great work of transforming me? The first thing that's going to have to come down is that mask. God is going to have to overturn some tables. You're going to feel a little bit of discomfort. This is why when I begin to see people that draw near to Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe in a long time after a delayed departure from the church, do you know what they feel? They feel uncomfortable. They'll say, you know, it feels like this just is really challenging. Yeah, this is Jesus confronting us. But his confrontation isn't because he hates us, it's because he loves us. And his confrontation is directed towards a purpose, and that purpose is healing. That purpose is healing. See, Jesus overturns the money changers, and in verse 14 it says, The blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You see, King Jesus confronts us in order to comfort us. He overturns wickedness in the household of God. Why? So that the household of God might be marked by righteousness instead of unrighteousness. 
holiness instead of wickedness. And all of this is for a purpose which is to be healed. To be healed. For the broken places in our life and the life of the world to receive the healing of God, it begins with confrontation and it ends with comfort. You see, the blind and the lame come to him because they know now that this place is a safe place to enter into to receive the healing that they long for. Why did the blind and the lame have to come to him? Why weren't they already there? Do you typically feel comfortable being vulnerable and transparent with your brokenness when everyone around you is pretending like you should have everything together? The temple had been transformed. It was no longer a place for the blind and the lame and the crippled and the broken of spirit to enter in and receive healing. It had become a place to showcase a false religion. It was no longer a home for the hurting, right? It was a platform for the proud. And that's not what the church is. The church isn't a platform for us to stand up and say, look at me, I've got it all together, I've got it all organized, everything's lined out, my life is Instagram perfect, everything in my family's good, I'm the best mom, I'm the best dad, I'm the best husband, I'm the best wife, I'm the best employee, I'm living the best life. The church is not a platform for the proud. It's a home for the honest and the hurting and the humiliated. And this is what King Jesus does. He comes into the temple, the place where God's presence met with his people, and he purges it of wickedness in order that he might fill it with righteousness. And for some of us, you may be hurting. You may know someone who is hurting. And you are terrified of entering into God's presence with honesty because you are fearful that if you come in as you are, that either God or his people are going to reject you once they see it. And yet, King Jesus comes in, and for the hurting, the honest, and the humiliated, does he reject them? Does he say, stand outside, you filthy and unclean people? No. He welcomes them in. He heals them. And he actually sends out by overturning tables and casting out all the people who would speak a different word than he would. This is what King Jesus does with his people. The only people who enter into God's presence are those who are broken. God only saves those who don't belong. (laughs) He only saves those who are messed up beyond any repair that they can get on their own. He only saves those who know they're crippled, who know they're blind, who know they need help, who know what humiliation feels like. And the religious leaders, are they thrilled about this? They're not thrilled about it at all. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were furious, right? When, I mean, just if you get to shorten that sentence, you can read it like this. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things of God, they were furious. Doesn't that feel strange? It feels weird to hear it like that, but that's exactly what's happened. And we know that it's going to be this group of the chief priests and scribes that are going to leave from this place. And they're not going to shout the mighty works of God. They're not going to be talking about the wonderful things that King Jesus did. They're going to hatch a plan. They're going to begin to stir the pot. And what they're going to be leading the people to is not Hosanna to the son of David, but to crucify him. Why are they furious? Because the king who came wasn't the king they wanted. Right? The king who came wasn't the king they wanted. The religious leaders wanted God. They just wanted the God they wanted. They didn't want the real God. The chief priests and the scribes wanted God. 
but they wanted God on their own terms. And because of this, they had been willing to use the temple, the very house of the presence of God, to use God's presence for their gain. That's what they had allowed to happen. You see, they didn't really want God. They wanted a God that would accommodate himself to their expectations. And why? Because when you get close to the true God, he's going to make you uncomfortable. But if you can refashion God into your own image, then you can fool yourself into thinking you'll get all the benefits of being close to God without ever having to get near him. And the chief priests and scribes, they had figured out a system that worked very effectively for them, which is, I want all the benefits of being near God without being close enough to him for him to get my heart. That's what the chief priests and scribes were aiming for. They wanted a God who would accommodate to their expectations so they could use the person and presence of God to get what they wanted without God. But when King Jesus enters in, he begins to overturn tables. He begins to change their expectations. And for that, you are left with two options. You are either left with the option of the lame and the crippled and the blind, which says this, I know my need is so great That if King Jesus' power confronts everything in order to heal me, I'll receive every confrontation. I'll be changed to my absolute core because I know the depths of the need that I have and I need healing. I can't get anywhere else. Worship. Or, King Jesus, you stay as far away from me as you possibly can. Actually, that is even too close. Actually, you even being here on earth... That's too close to us. And so we're going to throw you up on a cross and kill you because we would rather have you dead than to hear what you have to say. You see, when King Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we're left with two questions. Will you worship him or will you crucify him? That's what the triumphal entry asks us. Will you worship Jesus or will you crucify him? And the voice of the people begins very clearly. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Celebrating this humble king who with holiness and healing comes to bring holy confrontation and comfort to his people. Will you worship this king? Well, the people begin with worship, but their tune changes as the chief priests and scribes begin to say, is this really who you want? This isn't really the Messiah. Have you heard what he has said? Have you heard who he claims to be? See, the chief priests and the scribes know something that it's easy for us to forget and that Holy Week is a reminder of. When King Jesus comes, he comes to be king over everything. And there is no bartering or bargaining with him. You see, the chief priests and the scribes were hearing King Jesus rightly. They were hearing he was claiming to be God. They were hearing that he was claiming to be king. They were hearing that he was going to rule and reign over all things. And they understood that. And they understood that that means that there is a God and that they were not going to be that God. They understood that their time of thinking that the world and themselves belonged to them was over. And when confronted with this reality, we are left with either two options. Either King Jesus is who he claims to be, and if so, he's worthy of our worship, or he is not who he claims to be, and he's worthy of crucifixion. And on the day of his triumphal entry, when people are shouting Hosanna, we see that the same way he entered into Jerusalem is the same way he enters into our life, bringing confrontation and comfort in order 
to heal his people. And so today, as you leave today, walking out on palm branches in the way that King Jesus walked into Jerusalem, the question for you is what comes next? What comes next? Will you come to Jesus for the healing that you need? If so, you'll have to acknowledge your hurt. You'll have to acknowledge your humiliation. And you'll have to trust that King Jesus is going to say something different to you than maybe your heart is inclined to believe. You're going to have to trust that he's not going to bring a word of condemnation, but a word of comfort. Will you bring your healing? Will you bring your desperation? Will you bring your hurt to Jesus? Or will you reject him for the God that fits your expectations? Will you cry out, Hosanna, and lay your life down in worship? Or are you waiting for him to ask for your life so that you can shout out, crucify him? That's what Jesus asked when he enters into Jerusalem. This is the question that circulates around Jerusalem over Holy Week. Do we worship this king or do we crucify him? And little did both sides of this question know that the cross would be the throne for this world-changing king. Little did they know that this holy king would heal the world through the humiliation of the cross. That this humble king would rule the world not from a golden throne but from a wooden cross. You see, the glory of bringing your humiliation to Jesus is that Jesus says to you, not go and carry it, but that I have taken it. You see, that's the glory of a humiliated and humble king. That's the glory of a king who achieves victory, not over humiliation, but through humiliation, is that when you feel like wickedness, vileness, Hurt and uh, humiliation is all you've ever known. And when you're honest with God about that, his word to you is, I've already taken it. It's done. It's carried. The proud, the proud, they can never know the healing that they need. Because we have to come to Jesus and say, I know my need and I know your power. And even if it costs me everything to be healed by you, that's what I need. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Jesus. And we do proclaim Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would come and that you would come again. But as we wait for your return, we proclaim today that this king who has come and the king who is coming again, he brings with him a holy confrontation so that we might know the comfort of his healing. Heal us, God. Make us well. Make us whole in our brokenness. We pray these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me as we receive the Lord's Supper? This Friday evening.